Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And here I am with a new episode of The Nearness of You, and I'm so excited because things are really starting to happen for me. While I was out of town on business, I booked two guests. I already interviewed one, and she will go live next week, and I have a singer coming on board who sings songs from World War I and World War II, and I'm really excited to talk to her. I think we're speaking in about three weeks here, and I'm just, you know, like, wow, she found me, and that's just so very, very cool. So yes, today I was thinking about what am I going to talk about? What am I going to talk about? It's not always easy. There was so much that happened during this time, during this period in history, you know, pre-war, during the war, and even post-war, and even up to today, because yesterday I interviewed Chris Griffith. She's a guardian for the honor flights, and we spent about a half an hour talking about how wonderful it is to honor the veterans of World War II, and they're starting to include Korean War veterans in their flights, because these people never had that honor when they came home, and now they get 5,000, 10,000 people at an airport cheering them, you know, and the airport security fire departments are, you know, doing the hoses over them as they come off the plane. And it's just so exciting. It's so very, very exciting that we are finally, finally honoring those who served in wars before my time, but they still deserve to be recognized. So let's get on with the show because today, I'm going to be talking about Pearl Harbor. FDR once said, I have seen war. I hate war. He actually said that at an address in Chautauqua, New York, pre-World War II. He said it on August 14, 1936. I think he did a lot to try to avoid going to war, unfortunately, much of the decisions that were made during that time did lead up to the vicious attack on Pearl Harbor. I was thinking about it, and I don't even really know why I was thinking about talking about Pearl Harbor. It's not anywhere near December. It's not anywhere near the day that we pray and for the families and that we remember those whose lives were lost during that terrible attack. But for some reason, it's always fascinated me because that was our entrance into a huge monumental war. So I started doing some research. Before I really dug into a lot of what was going on, my memories took me back to being in world history class in junior high school. And I started to remember how during our lunch periods, we would go to the movies Yeah, right there in our high school or junior high school auditorium, we had movies. We had a huge, huge 
influx of people that moved to Parma, Ohio, which was a suburb of Cleveland. Ford Foundry, um, Chevy had opened up. Post-war, people were getting jobs like crazy. Parma was the place to live. And I had a graduating class in high school, over 800 students. The population was huge. So if you can imagine, we had only 10th, 11th, and 12th grade in our high school at Parma Senior High. If you had 800 in each class, that's 2,400 kids in one school. And the school was huge and has grown since then because I've been back. But we used to go to the movies on our lunch break. And a lot of times they were war movies all about World War II, obviously. And I remember how the editing was terrible. It was really terrible how you show 20 minutes of a film, right? So that you saw a movie generally, you know, in five or six days. That's what they, they cut them so badly. I think it was a five-day run. And I started to think about some of the movies that, you know, I really remember well. Or the actors and actresses like, you know, Frank Sinatra and John Wayne and Tora Tora Tora. And then recently Pearl Harbor and, you know, oh, just so many different movies that were made during that time. And they put romance. Hollywood always romanticizes the war up until and through World War II. I think they got more real, obviously, when they filmed movies about Vietnam and so forth and so on. But I had memories returned to me of watching Winds of War, which was on TV. It was made for TV. It was a miniseries by Herman Walk. That, that miniseries sticks in my head. So when my husband and I had the opportunity to go to Hawaii and visit the Pearl Harbor Memorial, and you stand over the Arizona, I have to tell you, it is one of the most deeply moving experiences that I had in my life up until the time that I visited New York City after the Twin Towers came down. So yes, you know, it's just rips at your heart to realize that there are still bodies, you know, underneath the water. That so many people died during the attack or immediately after the attack on Pearl Harbor. And you have to think about this. And, you know, up until the day of the attack, everybody was leading what we call normal lives. You know, kids were playing baseball, going to school. You know, it's beautiful. It's Honolulu. It's gorgeous. You know, being stationed there, a dream, dream assignment, or so they thought. It was a Sunday morning. It was early on a Sunday morning. People were probably just getting up, breakfast, getting ready for church. Maybe an afternoon ball game. Maybe a day at the beach. And suddenly their world, our world, was turned upside down. I'd like to go back, though, a little bit and talk about what actually led up to the attack. Because you know what? There's always events that that lead up to attacks in our history of war. You know, um, 3,500 Americans were killed or wounded on the attack, including three firemen from the Honolulu Fire Department who came to fight the fires. But back in September of 1940, and since this is September 1st, I thought this was very, you know, apropos to talk about this, the U.S. had placed an embargo on Japan. They prohibited exports of steel, scrap iron, and aviation fuel. 
because Japan had taken over northern French Indochina. In April of 41, the Japanese signed a neutrality treaty with the Soviet Union to help prevent an attack from that direction if they were to go to war with Britain or the U.S. while taking a bigger bite out of Southeast Asia. In June, through the end of July, Japan occupied southern Indochina. And two days after that, the U.S., Britain, and the Netherlands froze Japanese assets. This prevented Japan from buying oil, which would in time cripple its army and make its navy and air force completely useless. Unfortunately, we know that didn't occur quickly enough. Toward the end of 1941, with the Soviets seemingly on the verge of defeat by the Axis powers, Japan seized the opportunity to try to take the oil resources of Southeast Asia. The U.S. wanted to stop Japanese expansion, but the American people were not willing to go to war to stop it. We weren't. We voted against it. The U.S. demanded that Japan withdraw from China and Indochina, but would have settled for a token withdrawal and a promise not to take more territory. Prior to December 1941, Japan pursued two simultaneous courses. Try to get the oil embargo lifted on terms that would still let them take the territory they wanted and prepare for war. After becoming Japan's premier in mid-October, General Tojo Hideki set November 29th as the last day on which Japan would accept a settlement without war. The Japanese military was asked to devise a war plan they proposed to sweep into Burma, Malaya, the East Indies, and the Philippines, in addition to establishing a defensive perimeter in the Central and Southwest Pacific. They expected the U.S. to declare war, but not to be willing to fight long or hard enough to win. Their greatest concern was that the U.S. Pacific Fleet, based in Pearl Harbor, could foil their plans. As insurance, the Japanese Navy undertook to cripple the Pacific Fleet by a surprise air attack. The U.S. had broken the Japanese diplomatic code, knew, and they knew an attack was imminent. A warning had been sent from Washington, but it arrived too late. Early warning radar was new technology. Japanese planes were spotted by radar before the attack, but they were assumed to be a flight of American B-17s due in from the West Coast. On December 7, 1941, on an otherwise peaceful Sunday morning, on a beautiful Hawaiian island, the first wave of Japanese airplanes left six aircraft carriers and struck Pearl Harbor a few minutes before 8 a.m. local time. In two waves of terror, lasting two long hours, they killed or wounded over 3,500 Americans and sank or badly damaged 18 ships, including all eight battleships of the Pacific Fleet and over 350 destroyed or damaged aircraft. At least 1,177 lives were lost when the battleship USS Arizona sank. So you see, this is why it really grabs my heart, standing over it and looking down. However, they did not sink any of our Pacific aircraft carriers, and they left most of the fuel that was needed to win the war in the Pacific. In one stroke, the Japanese Navy scored a brilliant success and assured their ultimate defeat. The Japanese attack brought the U.S. into the war on December 8th and brought it in the war, determined to fight to the finish. As I was saying, I really don't know why 
I wanted to talk about Pearl Harbor. It's not like suddenly, you know, something had happened in my life or in the news or anything like that that, you know, brought those memories, you know, to the forefront of my brain. But I dug deeper and I really wanted to know a little bit more. It was inevitable that we would enter the war. I spoke about the oil embargo and the freezing of Japanese assets that really ticked off the Japanese. There's no doubt about it. And their policy was one of no compromise. You know, they just weren't going to compromise about this whatsoever. The civilian government in Japan really had hoped for peaceful resolution, but that was, you know, obviously was not going to be part of the plan of attack. In fact, when I read about the attack, I think about how brilliant it really was. We were so caught unawares, and they really knew so much about us. That's the scary part. You know, how many times have we all heard Franklin Roosevelt say a date which will, you know, live in infamy, you know, anytime they bring up his radio voice and it's crackling and they're static. My parents were in a movie theater watching a film and the movie stopped and the theater manager announced that Pearl Harbor had been attacked and that we were at war. Yeah, Torah, Torah, Torah. The Japanese attack. U.S. bases on Hawaii. The headline of the Honolulu Star Bulletin, which I will put a picture of in the show notes of this show, says war, Oahu bombed by Japanese planes. It was 6 a.m. The Japanese carrier stationed about 200 miles north of Oahu began launching the first wave of the attack. Of the six Army mobile search radar units on Oahu, only one was operating on the morning of December 7th. And while it detected the incoming planes, they didn't give it any serious consideration, not really. And then about 7.40, upon sighting the coast of Oahu, the first wave of Japanese planes took up their attack formulations and proceeded towards their targets. It was about 7.53 a.m. that Commander Mitsuo Fujita advised the carrier force that the U.S. Pacific Fleet had been taken by total surprise. His message consisted of one word repeated three times. Tora. Tora. Tora which means tiger, tiger, tiger. And by that time, the second attack wave was already halfway to their targets. What they attacked that morning were Ford Island, the airfields at Wheeler, Hickam, Ua, Kaneohe, and later Bellows Field. They knew everything about us. You know, within minutes, the majority of American fighters, bombers, and patrol planes were destroyed or damaged. We had no chance to really fight back. So our air opposition was eliminated. Now there was a clear path to the primary target, that being the U.S. Pacific fleet moored in Pearl Harbor. The air raid lasted until 9.45 a.m. Eight battleships damaged, five sunk. Three light cruisers, three destroyers, and three smaller vessels were lost, along with 188 aircraft. The Japanese lost 27 planes and five midget submarines, which attempted to penetrate the inner harbor and launch torpedoes. Thank goodness they were stopped. The battleship USS Arizona, after a bomb, penetrated into the forward magazine, causing massive explosions and killing 1,104 men, began to sink. 
the casualty list includes 2,335 servicemen, 68 civilians, and 1,178 wounded, including those 1,104 men aboard the USS Arizona battleship, killed after a 1,760-pound air bomb penetrated into the forward magazine, causing catastrophic explosions. I can't even begin to imagine. Shortly after the attack, and in anticipation of a possible Japanese landing on Hawaii, Army troops took up positions along the perimeters of all the main islands, and beaches were covered you know, by the Army. Civilian airports were taken over. All private planes were grounded. You know, it became under martial law and remained there until 1944. Everything in Hawaii, every beautiful thing about Hawaii was turned upside down. Japanese-owned businesses were closed. Absolutely. They were shut down immediately. You know, we know, we've all read, and we've seen articles about the Japanese internment, even though they were living in America, and considered to be U.S. citizens in some cases. You know, you could get arrested so easily. If you had a traffic ticket in Hawaii at that time, you could be arrested. It wasn't the beautiful place to live any longer. Today, remainders of the war are seen in many places in Hawaii. You know, when we go to the top of Diamond Head, which I didn't think I'd ever get to the top to, I'm telling you, there's a really steep staircase and a very narrow opening. You know, um, we exit. We exited through a bunker used as a lookout. Pearl Harbor and the USS Arizona Memorial remind all of us who visit the important role of Hawaii in the war, and all those who died that fateful morning. You know, there are other memorials. There's a huge war memorial at the National Cemetery of the Pacific at Punchbowl, the World War II Memorial in downtown Honolulu, or the smaller and just as moving Waialua. Kahuku World War II Memorial at Hala, I can never pronounce Hawaiian words. Let me try this. Halaiwa, Halaiwa Beach Park, Oahu. Now, I know you have to pronounce every vowel. But there's one thing that cannot be overlooked when one stands before these memorials to honor those who died in World War II. There's one thing that cannot be overlooked when one stands before these memorials. There's a list of dead that includes many men of Japanese descent whose parents, grandparents, or great-grandparents came to Hawaii from Japan to start a new life. The names of these men stand above, beside, and beneath those of mainland roots, of Chinese roots, of Filipino roots, and those of Hawaiian blood, all of whom sacrificed their lives to preserve freedom for themselves, their families, and us. Wars are fought by a lot of people, a lot of men, a lot of women. Many of these men die. Wars are begun by others, often less brave, who sit many thousand miles away from death, as was the case with the attack on Pearl Harbor. Those who fought and died in the battles of World War II were, in most cases, honorable men, whether they be American, British, German, French, Japanese, or from any one of the other nations involved. You know, much of our world has changed since the end of World War II. Hawaii is the 50th state, and people of Japanese descent and those of mainland roots, Chinese roots, Filipino roots, and Hawaiian roots reside together in peace now in Hawaii. Ironically, the economic vitality of Hawaii today you know, depends on tourism. 
not only from the U.S., but from Japan. It's a beautiful place to go. We remember not so as to bring back memories of a time when the world went mad. We remember not so as to condemn those who attacked us. We remember, lest we forget, that those who died, and lest we forget that we must never allow it to happen again. And that is why I do this show. I do this show to remind the world of the travesty of war and World War II and the part that World War II played in history and how we must never allow this to happen again. Whether we're talking about what happened in Europe, whether we're talking about Hitler and the camps, whatever we're talking about with the war, we cannot allow a world war to happen again. Thank you so much. I'll be back. In the very near future, I hope to be talking to a veteran of World War II who served in the Pacific Theater, and I'm hoping that he's going to be able to share with us some of the other facts we don't know about what was going on there and also Pearl Harbor. So I look forward to talking with him. He's a very charming man, the one that has to put in the hearing aid to hear me, and that's fine. That's fine. Because sometimes I think I have to put a hearing aid to hear people, too. But, you know, I always close with a letter home from my dad. And even though my dad was stationed in Europe, you know, the basis of this show is to read one of his love letters home to my mom. February 8, 1945. Sweetheart, back again, dearest, with a few lines to tell you and let you know that all's well with me. I've caught a slight cold, but that will vanish shortly. Well, sweet, last night or I should say yesterday, I was out on pass. Four men out of the company were all out on pass, so we drew numbers out of a hat. I was one of the lucky fellows, so I packed my combat pack with a complete change of underwear. (laughs) I'm sorry, that the underwear part got me. When he wrote combat pack, though, I said, okay, there's a first clue to the fact that wherever my dad went, he had to take something with him that could defend his life. If anybody knows what was in a combat pack, I will leave you ways to contact me in this show. But in the meantime, you know, there he was, combat pack, clean underwear, right? We went to Rouen, that's R-O-U-E-N, where the American Red Cross has a building in which we could take a shower. So when we hit town, that was our first stop. I had to sweat out a shower line that was pretty darn long. After waiting about an hour, I got in and tried to enjoy a shower, but the water was so darn cold that it was impossible to stand under any length of time. We all did our best, though, because it was our first chance to shower since we got off the boat. Ooh, Dad. Then we went upstairs and partook of some coffee and some donuts, and that was our meal for the day. As soldiers can't buy foods, they can't. I was, I was shocked at this. Soldiers cannot buy food in restaurants. I'm, I'm sure there's a reason. <laughs> and they can't get anything to eat whatsoever. We then walked around town, and we saw a lot that was interesting. But again, sweetheart, I can't mention what, as censorship forbids that. Exactly. 
I have letters that I've peeked at from my dad that have black magic marker through them. In the town itself, there was nothing to do, so we returned to the Red Cross building and played ping pong, ate some more, obviously donuts, and awaited time to come back to camp. It proved to be an interesting day, and with that shower, I feel like a new man. No mail as yet, honey, so I'm in the dark as to what to write about or what you are doing. Hope we receive some soon. Comes time now, darling, to again sign off with loads of love to all and lots of love to my sweetheart. Forever yours, dearest Willie. Again, I'm really not sure why I felt compelled to talk about Pearl Harbor and the tremendous loss of life there and what led up to us coming into the war, but I'm glad I did. And as promised, the way to reach me is going to be in my show notes, but I'll give it to you here too, so please spell my name right and you will email me with no problems. Carol Lynn Sanic, my full name, Carol with an E. L-Y-N-N-E-S-A-N is in Nancy, E-K, at gmail.com. I answer all emails. I promise I will get back to you. Now I have to go look for some pictures and photos of that time that I want to use in my in this show, in my presentation. So look for those. I'm so glad that everybody listens. I'm so glad that you're interested in a show about World War II. And I promise you we're going to have some really cool guests coming up. Thank you so much. I know you take time out of your busy day. I appreciate that. Like I said when I was closing out my Pearl Harbor story, keeping the memory of World War II alive is very important. We can never allow this to happen again. Peace out. Bye now. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.